Chapter Seven of the Emancipation of South America by Bartolome Mitre, translated by William Pilling. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Piotr Natter. Chapter Seven: The Chileno-Argentine Revolution, 1810 to 1811. In September 1814, San Martin took charge of the government of Cuyo. The Revolution of Chile had then lasted four years and was about to succumb a prey to intestine discords and to the arms of peru in order to understand what followed we must first know what preceded the appearance of san martin upon the scene never were two peoples more analogous and less alike than the peoples of chile and of the united provinces both countries were situated at the southern extremity of the new continent under the same degrees of latitude but while one was shut up between the mountains and the sea the other spread over vast plains the first was agricultural the second pastoral and commercial chile possessed a territorial aristocracy and a population of half-breeds whose relations were somewhat feudal in character the argentine people were by nature democratic both peoples sprang from the same origin and were in temperament alike the colonization of mexico and peru was an imitation of the feudal system of europe the labor of an enslaved race was utilized for the production of the precious metals the colonization of the river plate and of chile was effected by the colonists themselves assimilating in some degree the indigenous races they conquered their territories from a warlike people and in so doing developed their own aptitude for war while they supplied themselves with the first necessaries of life by their own labor while the colonists of the river plate crossed immense deserts and reached the pacific by way of upper peru the colonists of chile crossed the andes from arauco and established themselves to the east of the cordillera at mendoza opening for themselves a road to the atlantic thus the city of mendoza capital of the argentine province of cuyo was a bond of union between the two countries during the colonial epoch chile had vegetated into obscurity amid peace and plenty but the provinces of the river plate had lived in a state of almost constant warfare with their neighbors the portuguese the english and the indians which gave them some knowledge of their own strength and inoculated them with new ideas these ideas filtered across the cordillera to chile and there smouldered till in the year eighteen ten the flames of revolution burst out in both countries almost simultaneously the kingdom of chile as it was called was colonized under the auspices of peru but was in seventeen seventy eight separated from the viceroyalty and placed under the orders of a governor who was at the same time president of the real audiencia these two authorities with the cabildos granted to some cities constituted the whole political judicial and municipal system of the colony the separation from peru inspired the colonists with instinctive ideas of independent autonomy till the death of the then governor munoz guzman on the tenth of february eighteen o eight plunged the hitherto pacific colony into a fever of expectancy the home government followed no fixed system in the appointment of the superior authorities in the colonies their nomination came from the crown direct sometimes vacancies were provided for beforehand sometimes the colonists were empowered to make a provisional appointment 
but latterly that power was as a rule vested in the audiencia in eighteen o six all this was changed by royal decree which enacted that in case of a vacancy the military official of the highest rank then in the colony should assume the vacant post on the death of muñoz guzman the audiencia of chile raised its own president to the vacant office the officers stationed on the frontier of araucania protested against this appointment and proclaimed colonel don francisco garcia carrasco provisional governor and captain-general and the audiencia was forced to yield the new captain-general took with him to the capital as his secretary and counsellor a man who had for many years resided in concepcion who had great influence in the south and was highly thought of throughout the country this was dr don juan martinez de rosas an argentine born in mendoza who was at that time forty-nine years of age he was a graduate of the university of cordoba and a fellow student with dr castelli through whom he afterwards entered into political relations with belgrano in various official positions in chile he had gained experience of public affairs and his wife was a daughter of one of the principal families of the south of a passionate character he was at the same time prudent was well read in the current literature of the day and was the leading spirit in a group of men who discussed among themselves the future destinies of america the new captain-general was a man of limited intelligence violent in his proceedings and with no firmness of character thus he soon made himself hated and was despised by all his one passion was cock-fighting his greatest pleasure was in listening to jokes and his affections were concentrated upon a domestic of african race through whose hands all favours were bestowed the whole aim of rothas was to make him an instrument for social and political reform to this end he strove to raise the cabildo of santiago into a position analogous to that of buenos aires and to use it as a counterpoise to that of the audiencia the governor by his advice added twelve members to this body influential citizens most of whom were men of advanced opinions the immediate result of this innovation was to inoculate this assembly with revolutionary ideas ferdinand the seventh being now a prisoner of napoleon the creoles thought that the time had come to replace the colonial system by a government of their own but the spaniards who thought only of preserving their own privileges protested against this idea the two parties soon came into collision the governor cancelled the decree which added twelve members to the cabildo and quarrelled first with the audiencia and then with dr rozas the spaniards strove to reconcile him with the audiencia and advised him to fortify the hill of santa lucia which commands the city and to arm their partisans but finding their counsels set at naught they denounced him to the viceroy of buenos aires as unfit for the post he held he on his part appealed for help both to the viceroy of buenos aires and to him of peru at the same time several leading chileans aided by young argentines resident at santiago opened communications with the popular leaders of buenos aires carrasco then tried what intimidation would do on the twenty fifth of may eighteen ten the same day on which the viceroy of buenos aires was deposed by the people he ordered the arrest of three of the principal citizens of santiago as advocates of revolutionary ideas the municipal authorities protested and convened an open cabildo 
which sighted the governor before them. He thought at first of resistance, but three thousand men filled the plaza. He could not depend upon the troops, and at the request of the audiencia he presented himself amid the shouts of the populace who clamored for his deposition. A new procurator, elected by the cabildo, the previous one being among the prisoners, opened the case by declaring that it was the will of the people that the prisoners should be set free, and that the cabildo would remain sitting till it was done. This was the first time that such a thing as the will of the people had been heard of in Chile, and the speech of the new tribune was loudly applauded. Carrasco yielded, and decreed not only the liberation of the prisoners, but also the dismissal from their posts of those which had aided in the arbitrary measure. He also accepted the control of an assessor, without whose authorization his judicial acts should, in future, be invalid. These decrees were endorsed by the Audiencia, which was a virtual dismissal from office of the last governor and captain-general of Chile. From that day the latent spirit of revolution gained ground, but the efforts of the patriots were as yet limited to theoretical discussions. Their headquarters were in Santiago, the warlike province of Concepcion was their base, and their teachings came from Buenos Aires, the Athens of the New World, as it is styled by a Chilean historian. The growth of public opinion in Santiago, and the news constantly arriving from Spain, more especially that of the Battle of Ocaña, kept the interest alive. The south of Chile, whose capital was Concepcion, virtually formed a distinct country. The people called themselves Penquistos, to distinguish themselves from their northern neighbors, who styled themselves Chileans. Their troublesome neighbors, the Indians of Araucania, had accustomed them to war. Their pastoral and agricultural pursuits made them strong and hardy. Their society included a class of free peasantry, among whom the army of the frontier found recruits, and from whom sprang the most distinguished leaders on both sides in the war which followed. The man of most influence in this district in 1809 was Dr. Rothas, who, after his quarrel with Carrasco, returned to Concepcion and began openly to work for independence. He advised that Chile, without renouncing her allegiance to her captive sovereign, should provisionally appoint a national government, after the example set by the provinces of Spain, which idea he advocated in a manuscript circular, for at that day there was no printing press in Chile. Among the co-workers with Rothas was a wealthy proprietor of the south named Don Bernardo O'Higgins, son of the celebrated viceroy of the same name. Educated in Europe, he spoke English, and was, by reason of his Irish descent, partial to the institution of England. A disciple and confidant of Miranda, he had been affiliated in his lodge, swearing, as did San Martin and Bolivar, to work for the liberty of the new world. Carrasco kept the prisoners in jail in spite of his promise to the cabildo, and issued a decree establishing a special junta to keep watch over the advocates of the new ideas. The excitement in Santiago increased, and 800 armed citizens demanded the institution of a governing junta, in imitation of that established in Buenos Aires, on the 25th of May. The Audiencia prevailed upon Carrasco to resign his power into the hands of the Count de la Conquista, a Chilean noble who was eighty-five years of age. 
The Patriots were not satisfied, but as they succeeded in surrounding the new governor by councillors in whom they could trust, they for a time acquiesced. About the end of July an emissary from Belgrano and Castelli crossed the Andes. The Patriots, stimulated by the news he brought, determined to persist in their previous design, and induced the Count to converge an open cabildo on the 18th of September. To ensure their triumph, the cabildo called out the city militia, and the proprietors of Santiago filled the suburbs with their armed tenantry. They were also joined by some officers of the garrison. In spite of the protest of the Audiencia, the Count laid down his baton of command, and the Cabildo appointed a governing junta of seven members, of whom Dr. Rozas was one, the Count being named president. The new government was accepted by the whole country, but nothing was changed until the arrival of Dr. Rozas, who on the 2nd of November entered the capital in triumph between lines of troops amid salvos of artillery, the clang of bells, music, and loud acclamations. All that night the city was illuminated and fireworks blazed in his honor. Never had Santiago witnessed such an ovation. The Chilean revolution resembled that of Buenos Aires, in that it was parliamentary and legal, imitated and carried out within the precincts of the municipal forum, and that it triumphed by the force of opinion, without violence, in the name of the public will. Both followed the same formula, the resumption of their own rights, without a rupture with the mother country, and protesting fidelity to the legitimate sovereign. The first was an aristocratic revolution, the second was democratic and radical, but both were essentially American and obeyed the same historic law. Thus, from the beginning, the two nations were bound together by fraternal ties and by common cause. The news of the installation of the Junta of Chile was received in Buenos Aires with transports of joy, and the thunder of their guns on the 11th of October reverberated in the hearts of the Chilean people. Buenos Aires proposed at once an alliance offensive and defensive, assuring the Chileans that England would recognize any constitution they might give themselves now that Spain had fallen. Rozas, in return, presented a plan for a vast continental confederation, which idea found an eager advocate in Álvarez Jonte, the Argentine envoy, who, as a practical exposition of it, asked Chile for an auxiliary force in aid of the Argentine government against the reactionary movement, which had its headquarters in Montevideo. The Cabildo opposed the project, but Rozas had the majority of the junta with him, and in 1811 a decree was published for the despatch of an auxiliary force of 500 men, and authorizing the Argentine envoy to enlist 2,000 recruits. This sealed the alliance of the two countries and united their destinies for good or evil. Of the promised contingent, 100 dragoons and 200 infantry reached Buenos Aires on the 14th of June, 1811, and met with an enthusiastic reception. The Patriot Party soon became divided into two factions. The radicals who aimed at independence were headed by Rozas, and had in their front line the Argentine residents. The death of the Count de la Conquista in February 1811 left Rozas at the head of affairs, but his power was more apparent than real. 
Against him, at the head of the moderate party, was ranged the Cabildo, sustained by the Creole aristocracy, whose timid temporizing policy almost placed them in line with the party of reaction. The Royalist, called the Goth or Saracen party, recognized the leadership of the Audiencia, accused Rothas of personal ambition and even of aspiring to the crown. Rothas had no such ambition and lacked even the spontaneous courage of a man of action. Through all this opposition he carried on his plan of reform, of which freedom of commerce was the most important feature. This was proclaimed in February 1811, with the result that in a few months the revenue was doubled and was soon after quadrupled. He also raised troops and summoned a general congress of deputies from the provinces, whose election was based upon the limitations established by municipal precedent. The 1st of April was the day appointed for the elections. That same day a part of the garrison of Santiago mutinied under Colonel Figueroa, who was a friend of Rothas. At first the daring royalist was successful, and occupied the plaza, placing himself under the orders of the Audiencia, who, however, declined all responsibility. Rothas, who alone of his colleagues preserved his presence of mind, ordered the rest of the troops to march against the mutineers. The two forces met in the plaza, and opened fire on each other simultaneously at close quarters. The affair soon ended in favor of the patriots. Young Manuel Dorrego of Buenos Aires, at that time a student of the university, particularly distinguishing himself in the fight. Figueroa took refuge in the convent, where he was captured by Rothas, at the head of a party of citizens, was tried the same night, sentenced to death, quote, as a traitor to his country and the government, end quote, and was shot the next morning at four o'clock. The bodies of five of the mutineers who had been killed were hung on a gallows in the plaza on the afternoon of the first, and next day proclamation was made that all who conspired against the state would be similarly punished. Immediately afterwards the audiencia was dissolved, and with it disappeared the last semblance of monarchical authority in Chile. Meantime, the election passed off quietly in the rest of the country. In the centre, the Creole oligarchy triumphed, the great proprietors being elected by their tenants without opposition. But in the south, and in some of the northern districts, the radicals were successful. Following the example of Buenos Aires, the deputies were incorporated with the executive, in spite of the just protests of the Cabildo, which revenged itself by procuring the election of twelve deputies for the capital in place of the six it ought to have had according to the electoral census. On the 6th of May, the interrupted election took place in Santiago, the candidates of Rothas being defeated. From this day his power waned. Congress met on the 4th of July. Out of 40 members, Rothas could only count upon 13 votes. On the same day the junta resigned, and the High Congress assumed the executive power. Rothas, in an eloquent speech, gave a sketch of his policy, which he recommended for their adoption, and was listened to with deep attention by the whole assembly. For the moment, all the discordant opinions vibrated in harmony. It is an interesting question whether this early establishment of the parliamentary system was of benefit or was an evil to Chile. The Chilean historian, Vicuña Mackenna, considers it premature. He says, quote, the dictatorship of a Caesar, rather than that of a Cicero, end quote, 
would have been preferable for a people without constitutional education. Hervinus thinks that it assured to Chile later on that tranquillity so wanting in the other republics of South America. Lastarria, more philosophical than either, observes that the establishment of the doctrine of the sovereignty of the people, even under such restrictions as placed them in the hands of a few only, was the true way to weaken colonial prejudices and to arouse the idea of a dignity of men. The fact is that it was the natural outcome of the feudal character of Chilean society. In the parliamentary drama, the people played the part of the Greek chorus, which repeated the words of the principal actor. Chile soon remedied the error, copied from Buenos Aires, of incorporating Congress with the executive, which shows the existence of a hidden force neutralizing the effect of an evil example. The revolutions of Holland and of the United States had shown the world that a regular Congress was compatible with a dictatorship, and even in South America it was seen later on that no dictatorship, however powerful, could disregard the will of the people from whom its authority was derived. In Chile, less than in any other colony was this possible. Nevertheless, it is certain that Rothas, convened this congress in obedience to a solemn promise exacted from him by o'higgins as a condition of his support the moderate party which had a large majority in congress knew not what used to make of their power they were without experience without plans and had no fixed ideas most of them desired only peace and security for their properties the minority had clearer views. They aimed at raising their leader to the head of the state and at independence. On the 27th of July, an English ship of war reached Valparaiso, whose captain was commissioned by the Viceroy of Peru with credentials from the Regency of Spain to receive the subsidy which Chile was expected to contribute for the maintenance of the war in the peninsula. One million six hundred thousand dollars had been deposited in the treasury for this purpose. The moderates and the royalists were for paying the amount at once, but O'Higgins, speaking for the liberals, said, quote, Although we are in a minority, we shall know how to supply that defect by our energy and our courage. We are sufficient to oppose effectually the delivery of this money, of which our country, threatened with invasion, has need. End quote. This bold protest decided the question in the negative the liberals afterwards proposed the appointment of an executive of three one for each of the three territorial divisions of the country the north the south and the centre the moderates accepted the idea but put off the election the liberals then attempted to intimidate congress by popular tumults sadly compromising their leader by these sinister manoeuvres congress showed more firmness than could have been expected from its composition and the defeated minority seceded from the assembly the majority then named three of their own party as the junta and rothas looking upon his cause as lost retired to concepcion where he was received in triumph and set up an opposition junta the south recalling its members from congress Congress then drew up a constitution so unworkable that it only served to show their utter lack of all political knowledge. It never came into operation. End of chapter 7